Um, somewhere between like, uh, probably just says, I, I, I think I'll say progressive. Um, I don't know how to best identify that because I think that means a lot of different things to different people. Um, but uh, an Elizabeth Warren type will probably be my number one um, alignment there. Like uh, Bernie Sanders <laughs> left, like uh, keeping a deal on Medicare for all, stuff like that. Mm, I think I, I think it probably, you know, pushed more to the left during the pandemic. I think just seeing all the inequalities just with vaccine rollouts and just with, with more people just being less, less, uh, or, or, or just like denying the science. I think that really has pushed me further just, and just also seeing how politically motivated people are over the lives of people has definitely pushed me more to, you know, where I am now. I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, I definitely, I, I mean, I call myself a leftist. Sure. That's kind of a loaded term, but yes, I'd call myself a leftist. These voices are just a few of those who surged into politics during the COVID-19 pandemic. As the Twitter world shifted left, young organizers created roles that didn't previously exist in political spheres. For this story, I spoke with organizers, interns, and facilitators on digital organizing, unpaid internships, and compromised candidates. This is part one, unpaid internships. Gibson, a soon-to-be high school graduate based in Boston, joined Students for Markey, a largely online-based organization of high school and college students geared to re-elect the Massachusetts Senator. When Ed Markey won his primary election in September, Gibson shifted her efforts to the Boston mayoral campaign as a facilitator of Youth for Woo, formerly Students for Woo, an effort to elect Boston City Councilor Michelle Wu as mayor of Boston. Youth for Woo attempts to gather young people enrolled in school or not, Behind a political candidate they believe will hear their powerful roar in the echo chamber of bureaucracy. For me, when it comes to having Michelle as member of Marty Walsh, I think that Boston has just always had, you know, a certain type of mayor. It's like a, you know, white male mayor. When it comes to at least climate, which is one issue I hear about a lot, Marty Walsh has a plan called his climate ready plan. And I think that that was very, um, Like to me, climate ready, when climate change is already happening and it's already an issue, that just sort of shows where I feel like he stands on issues, where he's, he's, you know, not not making clear that that different issues are already present in our city and are already affecting people. And I think that Michelle is one who will take on these issues, not just wait or or make these plans that are just for the future, but um, be ready to attack different different issues that maybe Marty Walsh hasn't really uh, act, like uh, done enough for. The difference between former mayor, now Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, and Wu is the difference between taking on climate change and waiting until it's far too late for the recent high school grad. Although Walsh was born, grew up in, and maintains residence in Dorchester, Gibson believes his environmental plans have long ignored her neighborhood. I think that when it comes to climate in Dorchester, of course, flooding is a huge issue. And uh, between sort of South Boston and Dorchester, um, Morrissey Boulevard, which runs near the National Grid Tank, 
experiences a lot of flooding because of the, the the rise in sea level and that's one thing that I've noticed always just like you know all there always will be like flooding warnings there and it's become even worse in these more more recent years just how intense the flooding on this which is right by a highway gets and that was one thing that I always noticed as a young person but then also the urban tree canopy in Dorchester and other neighborhoods like East Boston or Roxbury is you know, nothing compared to the tree canopies in other areas of the city. And so that's something that I've always noticed, just how the tree canopy can change on like racial and wealth lines and how even in Dorchester, you go from one street that has no trees and move over to another street that has, you know, trees on both sides of the street. And so like my street, for example, only got only has one tree and it was only planted, uh, I think maybe in the fall. So seven years of having Marty Walsh in office, only one tree was planted on my street. And I think that that's an issue that I, you know, care about a lot because I think it's just unfair that people who happen to be, you know, close to, you know, the train lines, like I'm, I'm close to the, the, the commuter line that runs through, that people in these areas who, you know, have been sort of forced to, you know, experience pollution um, at, at different levels in other, other areas of the city also do not have the tree canopy that they deserve to have. And um, I think those are two issues that I um, care about a lot when it comes to climate like right by me. But I think that a Green New Deal can just do so much more than just, you know, help our flood flooding infrastructure or add more trees. But I think it's really important that we are centering the people who are most affected in that change. And so when she announced her, her um, Green New Deal, having different um, communities who experience, you know, different environmental injustices, whether that's you know, trees being being uh, cut um, or like that tree, trees that didn't need to be cut being cut down or communities being told without being consulted that, you know, a certain plot of land is going to be taken away. Seeing communities who are, who are most impacted have a have a place and platform at that initial launch for plan meant a lot to me because I think that these are people who need to be, you know, need, like, like need to be the ones who are in front or getting their voices heard when they haven't been for so long. Emma Bella Bass Lawrence is a freshman at Wesleyan College in Middletown, Connecticut. Like Gibson, she's passionate about progressive policies. She spent the fall semester campaigning for State Senator Brennan Chafee, a local to the area. Chafee won his re-election in November while campaigning on issues like marijuana legalization, union rights, and carbon neutrality. I think it's very important that people are representing communities that they actually grew up in and that they're from. And I think one of the main things that I really love about Brandon is that he had lived in Middletown his whole life and was also educated totally in Middletown public schools and at uh, Connecticut State Universities, uh, which I thought really, you know, just sh showed that, you know, someone who is just very much a part of the community and has been a part of the community for their whole life. But I think the main thing that really drew me to him was uh, the super left-leaning policies. The most notable difference between Gibson and Bass Lawrence's work was pay. While Gibson's position is not officially affiliated with Wu's mayoral campaign, her work bears a striking resemblance to that of Bass Lawrence, who believes she was fairly compensated for her 20 hours a week spent organizing volunteers and contacting voters, all while maintaining a full course load. Campaign manager Nick, who I previously mentioned, uh, is 
like both him and Brandon are very big workers rights unions people as I mentioned Brandon is a union organizer and Nick is uh like <laughs> is in the high up in like the working families party of Connecticut and leads our revolution Connecticut so campaign with people who are very worker focused and so I think so I, I, I do think I was fairly compensated for the work that I was doing and I think it was a good environment. Um, I think the main choice that we made is that we did get a pretty decent amount of funding from the Connecticut State uh, Election Commission for the campaign and definitely spent more on staff than our comparable campaigns would have spent. Um, and I think we definitely spent less on like mail and lawn signs and on consultants than similar campaigns usually spend in favor of uh, staff pay. And I think that's definitely the right decision for people to make. For Borough Strategies co-founder, Lawrence Julia, the voice of high school and college students is beyond valuable, but comes at a price. Julia oversees the hiring of interns and fellows across various NYC-based campaigns and remembers the defeat he felt in an unpaid political internship. I remember there was one time I was on a presidential campaign that, um, and I'd been on campaigns at a few points this year, but I, a, a few years at that point, sorry. And um, I remember I was, you know, I was doing some, I thought, serious work. I was helping to doing some advanced work. I was helping get endorsements for the campaign. But then one day I was asked to pick somebody else this like lunch up. And I was like, this is not great. This is not okay with me because first of all, I'm not getting paid. Second of all, Grubhub exists. But third of all, like, if this is your value for an intern, then my voice will never be heard. Um, it will never matter what I say, like what I do, because I was asked to do this menial task, which means I am looked upon as someone whose time is not as valuable and voice is not as important to be in the office or whatever meeting was present. I'm the one who's picking up lunch that time. Three weeks later, Julia left the position. I was still in school at the time, so like that helped push me. Like I was like, like my, my, my opportunity was either like, hey, like take a semester off of school, continue in this campaign, which if I had been treated differently and I felt like I was actually making a difference, I probably would have been like, yeah, this is a good idea. But I, in the moment, I just thought I, I'm, I'm doing things that are super replaceable. Um, there's no uniqueness that I'm adding to this. And while I really appreciate being in the room, being here, being asked to even, you know, kind of show up there, I can't survive on flattery alone. Um, and no one cares. Like, I, I remember there was a time that I think I showed up late to work and no one noticed. Um, and it got like me think it's fine, um, but but like it, it got me thinking of like what's like I like I get that I'm like doing these things and I, I get that it is a very large campaign, um, but it doesn't it just it like it it didn't my voice was not necessary. Question I've asked everyone and I feel like it fits well in this moment. Um, how do you think unpaid positions hurt the credibility of progressive political campaigns? And just to give you, like, progressive can be whatever you want it to mean. It doesn't have yes. to be Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. No, it's so huge. It undermines the entire message. Everything. Um, if you're not willing to pay 
your volunteers a minimum wage. And frankly, I don't think you should pay any volunteer, well, not sorry, volunteer, but like it's staff or like anyone, I don't think you should pay anyone minimum wage because then you're saying their efforts are literally worth the minimum to your campaign. It is worth the bare minimum. You're doing this because you are maybe legally mandated or you just kind of feel this. Because I feel like credibility is up to how we perceive it. Like to me, I would perceive a candidate as less uh, credibly progressive and I would less credible when it comes to workers' rights and everything if they did not pay their staff well. However, I believe that a lot of people maybe don't realize the degree to which various campaigns rely on unpaid labor, maybe don't like, it's not always public information, not always widely talked information, exactly how exploited various campaigns are. And so I think, and so I think to a lot of people, like that credibility is definitely vulnerable as a result of that. But if we don't know exactly how exploitative or exactly how dependent on unpaid labor campaigns are, you can't really hold them accountable unless you unless you know and unless that's widely talked about. I think if you're bringing someone on in an official role, like as an intern, and you're not paying them, I think that absolutely damages the credibility of any progressive institution because it you know, makes it inherently elitist and that exacerbates like, racial and economic inequalities. Um, I think, you know, unpaid volunteer work is is different. Like I would like to see volunteers compensated more, but that's also like the point of volunteerism. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, as progressives, we can advocate for economic equality if we're not acting on it in our own institutions. Anyone, like if an organization has the money to compensate people and make something accessible for everyone, then they should do it. I know Mike Siegel's campaign didn't have the money, so obviously they couldn't, but also like, if you aren't paying, there's so many people who are now blocked out and they can't join your campaign. So um, yeah, it's important to be, to be doing your best. To, Pain. Especially yeah. if you're like on the Capitol <laughs> when you're in office. That's different also. <laughs> um, I think that I think that young people are very underestimated. And I think that I think that um, when it comes to like experience, you know, that that word, oh you need, you need experience or like you need to like, you know, get your like you know, figure out how how things are done, and, and I think experience can only be after you're doing something so many times unpaid. It can just you can just be sitting there like, when is my work going to be valued in like a monetary way? Even though, again, I feel like these issues for me, are, you know, matter so much that I right now in the position that I'm in now do not, you know, I I'm okay with not being paid. But that's the reason why I during this summer want to have an opportunity to be on. To, to be doing some paid political organizing work because I feel like it can be so tiring. Whether that's your phone making all this time, you know, eight hours a week or more, and it can just, I think, even, even though the work is very, very rewarding, I think that young people, you know, deserve to be paid. And, and I think that it, like your age shouldn't, shouldn't be the reason why, you know, and I also think when when young people like in students for, students for Markey are doing so much crucial work that was able to help get Ed Markey elected, then it's like why like clearly these people are doing work that was instrumental 
in in having some, someone get reelected. And I think that it's important for, for politicians and people and, old, and adults not to just be like, oh, like great job, it's great that you did that, but like that, but, but back young people up in another way by offering them pay. And I think that even like unpaid fellowships as well, just like the amount of hours that people are putting in out of their spare time, I think that just shows how motivated pe people are. I don't, I don't really see a reason like why not to pay young people. And I think that um, it will only make, I think there are many, many young people who the different issues that they're fighting for affect them greatly. And so being able to, you know, like, like oh gosh, I'm, 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 you know, falling all over the place. But um, again, I, I just think young people deserve to be paid. I think it's important to get that, that experience first off, but I think there needs to be positions in place for young people that are paid because their perspectives matter. And I think that if it's not for young people when it comes to like doing stuff digitally or just TikTok, for example, like those different things that young people have a great knowledge of that maybe older, older, adults, older adults wouldn't have knowledge on trends or different aspects like that. I think that that just shows how crucial young people can be to different aspects of a campaign. And that's one reason why I think that they deserve to be paid because if they're providing a different lens that other other people aren't um, delivering, then of course they should have some sort of monetary compensation. I think it's much more realistic to promote workers' rights by attracting attention to campaigns that are doing the right thing than by attracting attention to campaigns that are doing the wrong thing. Um, because of course both need to happen because more attention needs to go to both. But I mean like, just the the way that like the worker employee power structure is set up and the incentives are set up makes it very difficult if not impossible to expose negative treatment while it's happening you know and so i feel like maybe the solution would be more to um, attract attention and publicity to uh, examples that are doing the right thing, you know, publicizing which campaigns are unionizing. But honestly, it's not something that I have an easy answer to. For more information about unpaid internships on political campaigns and centered offices, visit Pay Our Interns on Twitter and on their website. This is Julia Donahue, and that was pandemic politics.